Welcome back to another episode of the Cultivation of the Wild Woman podcast. My name is Ben. And I'm Rachel. And today we're on chapter 8, Self-Preservation, Identifying Lead Traps, Cages, and Poison Bait. And this marks the halfway point of the book. So it's a very... Uh, it's like a good pivot point from like the old world into the new world. Hmm. And kind of, I see it as stepping into like your authentic self, your true self. And we'll be hearing about the red shoes, which is the story for this episode today. And the shoes kind of represent that thing can, that can cage you your demon that can kind of possess you Mm. and keep you in those uh, loops that you don't really want to continue. So we're going to explore that today. Well, (coughs) let us begin. The Red Shoes. Once there was a poor motherless child who had no shoes. But the child saved cloth scraps wherever she found them and over time sewed herself a pair of red shoes. They were crude, but she loved them. They made her feel rich, even though her days were spent gathering food in the thorny woods until far past dark. But one day, as she trudged down the road in her rags and her red shoes, a gilded carriage pulled up beside her. Inside was an old woman who told her she was going to take her home and treat her as her own little daughter. So to the wealthy old woman's house they went, and the child's hair was cleaned and combed. She was given pure white undergarments and a fine wool dress and white stockings and shiny black shoes. When the child asked after her old clothes, and especially her red shoes. The old woman said the clothes were so filthy and the shoes so ridiculous that she had thrown them into the fire where they were burnt to ashes. The child was very sad, for even with all the riches surrounding her, the humble red shoes made by her own hands had given her the greatest happiness. Now she was made to sit still all the time, to walk without skipping, and to not speak unless spoken to. But a secret fire began to burn in her heart, and she continued to yearn for her old red shoes more than anything. As the child was old enough to be confirmed on the day of the innocence, the old woman took her to an old crippled shoemaker to have a special pair of shoes made for the occasion. In the shoemaker's case there stood a pair of red shoes made of finest leather that were finer than fine. They practically glowed. So even though red shoes were scandalous for church, the child, who chose only with her hungry heart, picked the red shoes. The old lady's eyesight was so poor she could not see the color of the shoes and so paid for them. 
The old shoemaker winked at the child and wrapped the shoes up. The next day, the church members were agog over the shoes on the child's feet. The red shoes shone like burnished apples, like hearts, like red-washed plums. Everyone stared, even the icons on the wall. Even the statues stared disapprovingly at her shoes, but she loved the shoes all the more. So when the pontiff intoned, the choir hummed, the organ pumped, the child thought nothing more beautiful than her red shoes. By the end of the day, the old woman had been informed about her ward's red shoes. Never, never wear those red shoes again, the old woman threatened. But the next Sunday, the child couldn't help but choose the red shoes over the black ones, and she and the old woman walked to church as usual. At the door to the church was an old soldier with his arm in a sling. He wore a little jacket and had a red beard. He bowed and asked permission to brush the dust from the child's shoes. The child put out her foot and he tapped the soles of her shoes with a little wig-a-jig-jig song that made the soles of her feet itch. Remember to stay for the dance. He smiled and winked at her. Again, everyone looked askance at the girl's red shoes, but she so loved the shoes that were bright like crimson, bright like raspberries, bright like pomegranates, that she could hardly think of anything else, hardly hear the service at all. So busy was she turning her feet this way and that, admiring her red shoes, that she forgot to sing. As she and the old woman left the church, the injured soldier called out, What beautiful dancing shoes! His words made the girl take a few little twirls right there and then. But once her feet had begun to move, they would not stop, and she danced through the flower beds and around the corner of the church, until it seemed as though she had lost complete control of herself. She did a gavotte, and then a sardas, and then waltzed by herself through the fields across the way. The old woman's coachman jumped up from his bench and ran after the girl picked her up, and carried her back to the carriage. But the girl's feet in the red shoes were still dancing in the air, as though they were still on the ground. The old woman and the coachman tugged and pulled, trying to pry the red shoes off. It was such a sight, all hats askew and kicking legs, but at last the child's feet were calmed. Back home, the old woman slammed the red shoes down high on a shelf and warned the girl never to touch them again. But the girl could not help looking up at them and longing for them. To her, they were still the most beauteous thing on the face of the earth. Not long after, as fate would have it, the old woman became bedridden, and as soon as her doctors left, the girl crept into the room where the red shoes were kept. She glanced up at them, so high on the shelf. Her glance became a gaze, and her gaze became a powerful desire. So much so that the girl took the shoes from the shelf 
and fastened them on, feeling it would do no harm. But as soon as they touched her heels and toes, she was overcome by the urge to dance. And so out the door she danced, and then down the steps, first in a gavotte, then a sardis, and then in a big, daring waltz turned in rapid succession. The girl was in her glory, and did not realize she was in trouble, until she wanted to dance to the left, and the shoes insisted on dancing to the right. When she wanted to dance round, the shoes insisted on dancing straight ahead. And as the shoes danced the girl, rather than the other way around, they danced her right down the road, through the muddy fields, and out into the dark and gloomy forest. There against the tree was the old soldier with the red beard, his arm in a sling and dressed in his little jacket. Oh my, he said, what beautiful dancing shoes. Terrified, she tried to pull all the shoes off, but as much as she tugged, the shoes stayed fast. She hopped on one foot and then the other, trying to take off the shoes. But her one foot on the ground kept dancing even so, and her other foot in her hand did its part of the dance also. And so dance and dance and dance she did. Over highest hills and through the valleys, in the rain and in the snow and in the sunlight she danced. She danced in the darkest night and through sunrise, and she was still dancing in twilight as well. But it was not good dancing, it was terrible dancing, and there was no rest for her. She danced into a churchyard, and there a spirit of dread would not allow her to enter. The spirit pronounced these words over her. You shall dance in your red shoes until you become like a wraith, like a ghost, till your skin hangs from your bones, till there is nothing left of you but entrails dancing. You shall dance door to door through all the villages, and you shall strike each door three times. And when people peer out, they will see you and fear your fate for themselves. Dance, red shoes. You shall dance. The girl begged for mercy, but before she could plead further, her red shoes carried her away. Over the briars she danced, through the streams, over the hedge grows, and on and on, dancing till dancing, till she came to her old home, and there were mourners. The old woman who had taken her in had died, yet even so she danced on by, and danced she did, as danced she must. In abject exhaustion and horror, She danced into a forest, where lived the town's executioner, and the axe on his wall began to tremble as soon as it sensed her coming near. Please, she begged the executioner as she danced by his door, please cut off my shoes to free me from this horrid fate. And the executioner cut through the straps of the red shoes with his axe, 
but still the shoes stayed on her feet. And so she cried to him that her life was worth nothing, and that he should cut off her feet. So he cut off her feet. And the red shoes with the feet in them kept on dancing through the forest and over the hills and out of sight. And now the girl was a poor cripple and had to find her own way in the world as a servant to others. And she never ever again wished for red shoes. Hmm. I like this story because it's very visual mm -hmm. and the vibrant colors and the movement and even the characters. And I like the arc of the story where they have to cut off her feet. That's a harsh reality. Yeah, it's... Um It's uh, traumatizing, really, mm -hmm. but it, it's an interesting image to contemplate in terms of, I don't know, it kind of makes me think of how um, a lot of times your, your greatest power or your greatest asset can be the thing that destroys you, mm -hmm. and something you may even love more than everything else might um, I don't know it, it's it makes it makes the story makes everything very real like mm -hmm. <laughs> like the world will we d we don't all have happy endings we don't all have we don't always get what we want and we don't all really even like, we don't all make it healthy in this world. Like, mm -hmm. um, there's not really, there's nothing that guarantees your success. And um, it's this weird thing because I've, we've been kind of approaching this subject matter from a, I've been approaching it a little bit naive, I guess, but optimistic. And I think this reminds me that um, there isn't always like the, some logic. There isn't always some good, reasonable, uh, un understandable system in this world. Mm. And that like you can do everything that you think is right and still fail and still not um, and still not even be happy like mm. <laughs> like happiness is not guaranteed in this mm. experience spiritual enlightenment is not guaranteed because um, to me I take it as a form of like a spiritual transformation where the dancing to me represents joy bliss freedom uninhibited expression, um, thriving, right? And then that joy and that freedom and that uninhibited dancing can also 
like that fire and that energy not everyone appreciates and it can kind of be a curse and I think a lot of wild women actually understand this at some level when they're young and so they hide the red shoes they don't dance and they are kind of the opposite of this girl uh, in a, like like nowadays yeah like a mo- like a modern moder- a lot of modern women are hiding things mm-hmm. because it's dangerous I I see like a vision of my like grandma's red shoes up on the shelf mm-hmm. and no one's gonna touch them because we're all like she died young yeah like I feel like our DNA at this point has figured out that the red shoe trick of it almost seems like it I don't want to say it's an easier path was the illusion but that it was a more joyful passionate path and that it kind of like you're saying that you can't even just follow that right you can't just follow the what brings you joy like she had the scene of her at church just not even singing not participating in the present moment because she was so stuck in the past of her red shoes mm-hmm. and the future of her red shoes or the or even just the present of her red shoes but not connecting to anyone around her mm. and just putting her whole soul into her shoes mm-hmm. and it also reminds me of people it's not even to me the shoes could be anything that you put too much of your soul into mm, uh, too much of your ego's identity yeah mm. and like um, people who get obsessed with even I think for men it's like cars and things but uh, it can be some object that you project your mm. your soul onto and um, somehow you think that you need to stare at the object a lot to understand who you are and, and or get that libido that the libido comes externally that you have to do that ritual or that practice or have that totem to be able to feel like charged up and ready and yeah. in that energy which uh i mean to the extreme it's it's a i think they call it a fetish or something fetishizing an object um, but we all, I think we, we all experience some sort of connection to objects that have significant meaning to us or represent something very important to us. But we also have to remember that there is no object that is going to be everything. And it seems like the red shoes to her were her everything. And when you make something outside of yourself or and even another person, if you're in some toxic relationship and you project all of your success on all your good feelings onto the other person's mood, then when they're not feeling good, you're going to take it personally like you didn't, like you're not good enough or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this kind of, identification over identification with an object or another person or even an experience right Mm -hmm. so 
dancing is kind of addictive. And there actually were real cases of women doing this, where they literally were dancing and dancing for days and days without stopping. I think some of them even died from exhaustion. So it's not a, just a fairy tale. There is a deep psychological truth here uh, somewhere. I don't know exactly where. I'm also curious about what this disabled soldier means as, as being a disabled veteran. I, uh, I'm not sure, but I, it feels like he seems like a character who actually praises her a little bit for her shoes, whereas other people were shaming her. And, like, he complimented her, you know, like mm -hmm. the dancing shoes. Or, and he kind of egged her on um, towards her fate. And then they meet again in the forest or whatever. And so I'm not sure what all these motifs mean, but I think the gist of the story for me that stimulated my ideas was remembering that this world is not guaranteed like you can you don't really hear the stories about sad things like we don't actually talk about tragedies very often like we don't really talk about um, like in our culture I don't hear people telling stories about oh yeah this person had a miserable life and died here you know, like, it's, there's some stories like that, though. There's, mm -hmm. like, just miserable tragedies that never had any breaks, really. And I think even in our own families, we have those people that we don't really talk about anymore because their story is so, like, like this one, where she's a cripple, her, she gets her feet cut off and is a cripple for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. So people don't like to hear about that. That's not inspiring. That's not motivating. That's not, that doesn't make you feel good. Mm -hmm. But why, why do you think she included it? I, I mean, you've I read, the, you've read what she talked about. Right? I kind of see the red shoes as like that piece of you that has a real passion for something and you have this libido and sometimes if you are in a vulnerable space or around an environment of people that will kind of kick your programming, let's say, into this uh, can't stop dancing, to me it kind of resembles like the hormones of fight or flight uh -huh. that she was kind of ticked and she lost the one thing that she made herself. She traded that in and with the devil's kick. Oh. And so then your hormones are like, if I don't have anything to lose, then you're going to take the first thing that pops in and kind of run with that because it's like this weird trick. And I've even had it happen where you lose something, but then the universe gives you a new thing, and but then you abuse it because you're kind of afraid that you're going to lose it again because you lost the uh, thing before. Like it's like the wow. weird cycle that I see. Yeah. So, to me, the red shoes are that passion, and that it kind of, it also reminds me of the Bluebeard story of, like, that libido in your mind, if you don't use it, like, it doesn't cease. If you don't 
funnel your passion for dancing, then you will dance and dance and dance. Mm-hmm. Like that maybe if she had a practice mm-hmm. of dancing with her red shoes at home mm-hmm. and kept that more private and then got the normal red shoes. See, but that didn't happen because then she wouldn't have been in the room with the old lady. So it changes like all the other dynamics. Yeah. And I think then that's the scary part is if you've realized that you've fallen into the red shoe trap and you got that job you thought you wanted and then all of a sudden you're like, it's not giving me what I thought I was going to get. Uh, and I want to yeah. return the red shoes and they won't come off because you bought that home that now the mortgage was paid for by that job that you have and that car that you have and the children, you know what I mean? Like yeah, all the responsibilities, if you take responsibilities in the wrong direction, uh, objectively, <laughs> mm-hmm. then it can be hard to reverse it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this chapter is very large. Uh, she goes over each of the steps and the phases and it's based the stories about learning how to reverse when you've realized you've trapped yourself Ah. and people say that that's the hardest feeling is stopping that when you've started something the Mm -hmm. hardest thing is to stop and and the Hmm. first step is like acceptance awareness knowing what what do you even need to stop Mm -hmm. and then going oh okay i i have carbs every 30 minutes to two hours. That's what I realized a year ago. How can I slowly shift into a more sustainable? What would that even look like? So it yeah. kind of takes some strength to go into the unknown and uh, not let yourself get to the point where you cut your feet off. Right. But I think also, like, you can't do all or nothing thinking because that's still fight or flight where you say, fine, I just won't ever use the red shoes. But in this story, she always had a pair of red shoes. You will always have your passion. Hmm. The, the answer isn't, oh, okay, I just need to not wear the red shoes. Right. No, you do need to wear them. But how are you going to wear them? Where are you going to wear them? What are they going to look like? What, are, what is your intention? How are you going to keep them sacred? Mm-hmm. Because also, th- for me, thinking about the church is... It's a sacred space, and you're not there to get attention, but that's kind of what her shoes were doing. So it's not necessarily, I don't think the moral of the story is that you're not supposed to try to get attention at church. Um, but I think it's the, the, the idea that certain things about your life need to be done in a setting, and a location, and a time, and a place. An ambiance. An ambiance with the right people who will love you and who will be able to uh, like tell you or help you before it's too late Mm -hmm. because she didn't really have anyone to love her so she just gave everything to the shoes that was another Mm -hmm. thing like her her lady was rich but she didn't love her she just was like I'll just I'm going to burn your shoes that you made because it okay, and then I'll just buy you some stuff, too. It's like a little bit of materialism in there. <laughs> They're mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'll just buy you something, and then that'll be good, right? But uh, that's, that's such an infinite story. There's so many angles and so it's many perspectives. It's a Hans Christian Andersen story, ah. um, but it's also kind of skewed to a German history so it's very hmm. uh, very close to home for me 
Yeah. Literally, like, I remember reading this story, and it starts out like a pretty fairy tale. She has her handmade shoes, and then it goes really dark, and you lose everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to the Greek tragedy. Um, really. It goes all the way even to beyond the, the German and all the way back to ancient Greece. Because it's, uh, it's like, there's this certain, but the, but the thing that it, it doesn't quite fit with the Greek tragedy is that it's not that cathartic. It actually leaves you a little stunned and like, uh, um, it doesn't, I didn't, when I got to the end of it, I didn't feel a release of anything or or um, an emotional release or or an emotional high it kind of leaves you at a low to me it leaves your unconscious like pining for what is your passion where are you mm. in your life like makes me visualize what are the things that i'm like man i don't really want to go to starbucks right now but my hormones are like do it we must have oh. something. you know like those days when you're in those yeah. loops, so it makes me hmm. see in my own world. When I leave that story, I, at first I was like, "Oh, sweet, I get to go into fairy tale land. I get to listen to all her problems." And you're like, "Oh shit, we're both got that problem." <laughs> like, <laughs> it, to it me, it's a good reflective. Finding what are the red shoes in your own life? Yeah, yeah, because you, uh, it does activate that trauma of like searching. Mm -hmm. uh, by because by the end of the story you're searching for something right you're searching mm -hmm. for closure because it's not given to you mm. you're searching for some sort of way out of that fate because for me I definitely embody stories when I read them like I fully immersed myself emotionally and then by the end of it my emotions were like oh man how could we avoid that ending mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and but it also reminds me, like I said, that you, like, you're not guaranteed success. And that's a big thing, I think, that uh, I'm, I'm having trouble trying to, to wrap my head around, is this idea that, because I want to share with people things like how I do find success, and how I do, um, you know, heal myself, and how I do... Uh, succeed in life and what areas I succeed in and what areas I'm trying to work on or whatever but this reminds me that um, there are some stories there are some people that you meet that will never really make it no matter what they do there's just certain people who are going to have their feet chopped off and be servants forever I don't know why and uh, there's no spiritual answer, really. There's no, like, logical answer. But it helps you, uh, to me, it reminds me and helps me remember to be compassionate because there's this, there's this chaos to this world. There's this, this almost, um, almost like an unforgiving, unrelenting force that if you let it will kill you or mutilate you 
and it is real it is here in this universe we live in it's not we're, we can't be naive anymore the story kind of wakes you up you know if you're, I imagine if you're a little girl and you were listening to this around the campfire or something and all of a sudden they're talking about oh, this is these freak shop stuff and you're used to all the other fairy tales <laughs> and this one uh, kind of shocks you into something Mm-hmm. But where it takes you, I think, is always different. So it's mm-hmm. hard to contemplate this story because I think every single person who hears it will have some totally different mm-hmm. response or emotional energy. Which means it's a fantastic story. So mm. <laughs> to me, that's the, the mark of a good story is one that has as many interpretations as there are people who hear it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a powerful story because the wild woman in you will <laughs> begin this process mm. of finding in your lifestyle what has turned into the red shoes or what is tipping mm. towards that. So even if you're not conscious of it right now in this moment, because um, I read this story over a year ago for the first time, and I can see how it stays in my unconscious and then sometimes come to the conscious mind of hey you're using that object like the red shoe you better be careful Mm. and when you hear those kind of escalate and then the story can help you kind of like have compassion for yourself and navigate it a little bit better and like understand that we all are going to have these traps like no one in this world is like can go anywhere and everywhere and not have a trap Mm. I mean they can build up the esteem to be able to like reflect off the negativity Mm -hmm. but we're all still susceptible to it so the goal isn't to try to like be avoidant and create a lifestyle where I don't have any red shoes present and I live in the woods and I don't have any like we did that where we we had no access to the vices right but then what happens when you go back into the city so that's kind of where we're at this fall is like what happens when you are around your vices and you do have to set those boundaries yes. to keep yourself preserved. Yeah. Like when you notice yourself kind of getting dried out and irritable because you have to do these loops to keep your hormones balanced, but they're not even really keeping your hormones balanced because you don't feel good doing it. Right. It's and so like identifying when you get those negative hormones out of something you thought you were going to get good hormones out of. Yeah. It's a reflection. Because I found that when I smoke weed really anxiously, like, this is going to help me. This is going to fix whatever, like, I don't want to face. And then I would go smoke and I would make it worse. <laughs> and you're like, what? But then right. reflecting upon that pattern. But when you notice that, it's, is that. That's the power. Yeah. So don't, like, don't get stuck at, oh, I have a red shoe problem. Fuck, I'm screwed. No it's great that you have an awareness because now that you have an awareness that's the first step to being able to pivot and redirect and like the first time she took off her shoes like you you have a chance Mm. and just make sure you're aware that you're choosing what your soul really wants to do like for me personally, I've been thinking about my relationship with weed and that I've taken off the shoes where it was having me dance and dance and dance like in the 
right. first acts, and, and I've and I've taken smoke. them off successfully, and put them on the shelf. But then I know that I'm never gonna not smoke weed again, because I've built that relationship. So then, how can I make it sacred? How can I take those red shoes off, and instead of going to church again, smoking every day all day, how can I funnel it into what I know gives me the best hormones, mm-hmm. and remind myself? with my ritual with that object how can I make sure that I remind myself of what my intention is because I think that's how I've found to be more stable in my hormones is like a mantra uh, like a a vision of your highest self of reminding yourself why you're doing things on a daily basis and like writing them down has helped me remember in the moment when I wake up and my mind's like, ooh, we should go to the gym before we go to the gym. That would be fun. Like, okay, now, you have an intention of we, why do you want to do that? Okay, you don't feel like you can do it without it. Visualize what it would be like doing it without it. And then all of a sudden, you're more open to it. So kind of like yeah. working myself through it and not just thinking it's an all or nothing of like, I used to think like, okay, I just need to not smoke weed anymore. That's the answer. No, it's not, though, because then what happens when that one time when there's a party or that one time when it's a holiday, you know, then it you're going to be pushed into it and then you're going to just fall back into the loop again. So you're talking about... So I don't want to be triggered by the loop. I want to sniff it in the bud. I want to... I want visualize, a, like, want taking the shoes and undoing them and making them Right, you're own. talking about moderation. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, abstinence... It's moderation. And, and they've actually been using this in therapies. Yeah. That they found it's more successful for people to confront what is going on. What did you think this drug was going to give you? Okay, how can we actually give you that hormone that you are craving? Like that that is a just Experience. desire. Yeah. And then how can you still have a drink or still smoke or still whatever but just not let the red shoes dance you you dance you dance them you say you know what in the afternoons that's my window to do that activity or you know what every friday that's the time i can eat whatever i want whatever it is Mm, yeah yeah it's it's more it's hard. It's well, hard to mod- it, it's hard to find moderation. But the, the point is, is that but again, you're not even going to be right possible. with the moderation. You're not right. going to go, okay, I'm going to choose every Friday. I'm going to eat whatever I want, and then you might start doing that and think, you know what, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. I don't even want to eat whatever I want on a Friday. I want to eat a carnivore cheesecake yes. and a glass of wine, the, and that's it. But the difference, and is, you know what you crave. Right. The difference you can, is that you're not losing your self-control to the object or the substance or the person Mm -hmm. and that you're not um i think there's this feeling i i don't really get this but i've started to notice and pick it up just being more empathetic is that uh people will think things that they don't like they'll, they'll um like her, her dancing shoes, right? She didn't really want to keep dancing, mm-hmm. but she had to. The shoes were, the shoes were making her dance. So, from my perspective, it's like people put the blame. They they put the responsibility 
outside of themselves. They say, oh, the shoes are making me dance. Oh, the um, environment is making me miserable. Oh, this person is making me do this thing. Oh, I, I have to smoke weed because my partner likes to smoke weed and they want to do it with me. And so they kind of, in their heart, they don't want to do something, but they put the responsibility of that choice on outside of themselves. So then they say, well, I'm not responsible. I'm not the one who's actually in charge of my life. I'm just kind of a victim of this circumstance or a victim of this environment. And I'm just a product of my environment. And therefore, I don't have to do the hard work of trying to become aware of the knowledge or the skills that will allow me to really feel good about myself inside. I'll just mask the feelings of discontent. Or I'll just blame the feelings of discontent on everyone and everything else. And never take kind of responsibility for your own experience in this universe. You're always looking for something. You're always, you're, you can always find something outside of you to be responsible. And then you, the reason that um, works is because uh, it gives you the feeling of release of, of um, respo- taking responsibility for your own happiness is very difficult work. It's not easy. It's, it's a hard thing to do. It's a struggle. It's, there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of um, suffering, even. So, like I've been talking about, too, with this, is that life doesn't really get easier. You just get stronger. Mm-hmm. And success is not easy. It's, you're, you're not successful. Like, your life doesn't get easy when you're successful. You're, it's just you're really strong and can handle the hardships of success. And you've built great neural pathways that allow for that success. Right. Like you've built the neural tunnels. You built the right to habits. To go to the gym. To yeah. eat the right foods. To talk in a way that's compassionate and open-hearted and aware. Right. And but you're taking, you're taking responsibility. You're not letting the shoes dance you. You are dancing the shoes. And you have to, I think you have to be, even if this isn't true, to me, it's a belief that even if it's delusional, I still take responsibility for my own happiness. Even if technically somebody did something or something happened to me that justifies my misery, Mm. like, uh, you know, if someone cuts me off in traffic, then it seems from the outside like, oh, well, that's a justifiable reason to become angry, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not. I don't need to experience anger because I don't, I'm not happy when I'm angry. So if I just let the, if I let the driver cutting me off take over my experience, and now all of a sudden, I am, I'm like, well, I'm just angry because someone cut me off and I can't, I can't like distance myself from that and choose inside. Hey, do you want to be angry right now? Or do you want to, you know what, forget about it. Let's just drive and chill. So there's two possibilities and I retain the right to choose. Whereas a lot of people, I think, 
are willing to say, I didn't have a choice. I got angry because they did this and I just, mm. you know what I mean? When people say that you are not responsible for your initial response, it's how you respond. Well, you're not necessarily responsible like if for I the pinch um, you, you're gonna kind of. You're not responsible it. for what they did, but you're mm -hmm. responsible for how you respond to what they did. So. They, the, the, I'm not responsible for them cutting me off and spiking my cortisol, right, mm -hmm. and and putting me into maybe a little bit fight or flight. But I understand the mechanism that's at play, and I understand that me. I can, that I can choose how I respond from there. Mm, like, like, yeah, they put me in an initial state of anger, but I can choose to stay in that anger and stew in it, or I can choose to let it go and say, well. And that's when you check in and say, yeah. would it be worth it to continue to do fight or flight? Should I to drive survive? Down? Right. Or, no, like, for me, it's like anger. Should I just drive after this person that's dragged them out of the car and beat them to death or should i just chill which one you know like it's be more sustainable yeah and what people i think people do is they don't take that moment to pause and analyze do i want to continue down this chain of anger and how far does that chain of anger go mm. and, or do i want to continue or like do i want to shift and reduce the amount of damage they, that this person has already done to my experience. <laughs> and it's kind of like, but you have to be delusional enough to say, I'm capable and responsible for my own experience and my own responses and my own emotions. And I am the one who manufactures these emotions. The emotions are not just from the environment that I automatically download. There's a filtration process and I interpret my experiences around me mm -hmm. and formulate my emotional responses. But that's a, that's not easy, that's not automatic. When I was a child, I was incredibly angry and if you did something that made me angry, I'd probably try to beat the shit out of you, right? <laughs> and I would not- Sit on your face. Yeah, so I would not, uh, I wouldn't, and I was totally unconscious of it. I wasn't even aware, I thought, I totally thought that if you did something that made me angry that it was your fault that I was angry for one that like <laughs> you made me angry right and I didn't take responsibility for my part in my own emotional experience that like no actually I am the one who makes my emotions real hmm. by my response mm -hmm. to what you do because now you could do something or say something to me and I can just laugh at it but that's because I have practice laughing at, you know, things that make me angry now. Mm. So it's like this habit loop, I think, of, okay, as soon as something stresses you out, can you take a moment to pause and reflect and, and, and not just run the emotional script or not just run the mouth mm. <laughs> and talk shit, you know, or whatever it is. And that's what I think this, to me, hearing you explain your, how you see the story, I see it better now because I see the, the red shoes as the emotional runaway, the runaway freight train, mm -hmm. the emotion, the, for me it was always anger because I was just, that's my, that's my family's, uh, and mine's depression, curse, 
pillar of fiery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have to not let those emotions kind of run away or take us into the forest dancing all night in the hills and. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think of like what is what how you can figure out for you what's your stick gut emotion is like in your childhood what was your default interpretation of the universe in feeling or, yeah i i don't even think of it like that that's like oh. the left brain to me i like to think of your right brain like where do you feel it and what is your posture like do you get small or do you get angry and fisty where i get very like i start to shrivel and i don't have serotonin and i'm just yeah you get you'll like, get like hunched over mm-hmm. and uh mousy and small and, and like and then I get angry at you for <laughs> behaving that way because I'm like, stand up straight, woman. Don't let that have a choose, thank you. No, yes. I won't let them. Because my uh, response is always to get puffed up bigger and meaner. <laughs> so I know, and then at first, when I first kind of met you, we were going through this, you know, sifting through our problems we hadn't quite put on the shelf. And we would have those explosions come up and we would both embody those and then have to investigate them well it was great because then uh you you took my postures Mm -hmm. and i took more of yours so i didn't expand and get over inflated and angry and you didn't shrink and become a shriveled depressed Mm, and i think that that is the trick of a power couple compared to uh what is the opposite of that enabler enabler couple in an enabler couple, you would see that they both stay in that childhood repressed emotion and that they never evolve out of it and explore it. They don't They don't build off each other's energy. They, they enable each other to continue with the red shoes. And a power couple encourages one another to change and evolve and be different and try to express. And or you don't even have to encourage it. It will happen naturally. You just have to not destroy it when you see it yeah yeah you need to hold space for it yeah when you see them changing don't freak out and try to stop it that's usually what people do i think Mm. because they don't want to see you get better like uh most people uh, i'm I'm at this point i'm like dang most people actually don't really like when people around them start climbing out of their situations people get pretty bitter misery likes company so they're like no take me with you or stay here with me or something yeah you have no right to be happy and you're like you have no right to be you can join me feel good about you pack up your baggage why are you so confident Mm -hmm. you know and the confidence thing reminded me of like okay cool we learned this story but how can i embody it how can i Mm, um, bring it into the present and i imagine like embodying the warrior you can help change your hormones and tip the boat towards more of your highest self. Like you can practice my yoga practice personally at the gym. I stand with a lot of serotonin and I do a lot of poses where my heart is really open Mm -hmm. and I'm really exposed really. And I found that a lot of my yoga now is very, very vulnerable. It's like the counter pose of all American sitting. Yeah, and so it's very sensual poses because I have to do those poses because of the flip side of how I've been spending my energy. Right. And so learning how to kind of like fix your imbalances. You spent your whole life sitting in a chair hunched over a desk at a school. 
twiddling my thumbs. For how many hours a day? And then having to do it at home, homework, sitting at the table, hunched over, trying to do the bureaucrat's job for them. So now you're compensating for that with these poses. Mm -hmm. And like unlocking your your uh, your spine and like opening up your all the vulnerable areas yeah. that you always had to protect. Yeah, so that reminds me of like kundalini energy that like the red shoes that you all have we all have this passion, this fiery energy in us that wants to transform and transmute and change and evolve and if you resist it it doesn't go anywhere. In fact, it stays in that puddle that you're, like I imagine, like when you're not letting your kundalini energy rise up your spine, that it stays all in your lower area and you get very heavy and like you get these symptoms of resisting the change. And your hips get tight. Yeah, and you can, and you can start to correlate the symptoms of like, oh man, I need to do some counter poses or do some practices that help train you to let the energy rise mm -hmm. um, and core work for me has been like the starting place for developing that energy because your core is connecting to that uh, duodenum yeah at the yeah. very center of your being near where your soul is is uh, probably more important than even it might be more important for your psyche than your uh, brain or your heart is your duodenum because <laughs> that's where all the um, I think that's where a lot of your hormones are produced mm -hmm. and your nervous system is more dependent on the hormones than it is on you know your what logic you're thinking and what does the duodenum do the duodenum is where the uh, it's the first part of your small intestine where the food you have digested in the stomach it starts to mix with bile released from the gallbladder and some other things from a few other organs that uh, can inject uh, enzymes hmm. uh, and it, it process starts processing the bulk ingredients from the stomach and starts really starts using them in chemistry so the enzymes start breaking things down the uh, the sugars get the bacteria start to process the sugars, um, the the fats and the proteins and everything starts to uh, starts doing actual chemistry, mm -hmm. and then you, that act that that because in your stomach it's more like hydrochloric acid and your stomach lining is very strong and thick mucous membrane is very strong so you're not actually going to have a lot of chemistry going on, it's more of like burning up the hydrochloric acid like liquefying everything and then the real chemistry is in the duodenum and that's where the hormones kind of get uh, released either manufactured in there mm -hmm. or just triggered to release because uh, some of your hormones are manufactured in the stomach some are just released by what happens in the stomach like the stomach kind of sends messages and then that releases another hormone from your adrenal gland that's not even in the digestive process but it's still affected by what's going on in the duodenum so this organ is 
is probably the most important in terms of your mood, in terms of are you in bliss, are you feeling serotonin, or are you just... What are you, you using, know, like what are you producing in your body? When you eat a meal, how do you feel before, during, after? Yeah. You know, like, kind of assessing what inputs you're giving your body and what yes. output is coming out. Well, and we know this because the original religion was just, they would get together and um, slaughter an animal and feed it to all the poor people who couldn't hunt or who couldn't fish or who couldn't, you know, they weren't, they couldn't get access to meat. And so the priests would build an altar where they would kill the animal, the goat or the sheep or whatever. And it was a sacrifice to the gods, but they actually ate the meat. It was they, they didn't just throw it away. Throw it away you know, they they served it to the people, yeah. and um, that religious experience, that religious ecstasy uh, of everyone getting together and eating such a potent healing meal. We still do, we still do it. I mean, our culture in America is like seventy-five percent of people have diabetes, high, whatever, overweight, or I don't know. The everyone majority is, is just the majority <laughs> is not have sacred food anymore but that really is the core of religion it's the foundation it's of the, uh, the core and yeah. that was my point is that when you are cultivating this kundalini energy this chi this prana this energy yeah um it has very many different names because it's the life force yeah it is god's energy that moves through you and up through you because you're kind of like a channel and I imagine all humans are kind of like these like little what are those radio, radio antennas things. oh yeah you know and your crown chakra is like your you got your pineal gland and your prefrontal cortex up there and all that things and that's your antenna and that you want to help carry that energy up there to get the right like s senses from the universe yes and if you're stuck in a low energy, a low vibe, a low chakra, yeah. because you haven't cultivated the ability to change and to receive, then you'll get a lot of physical health problems and your hormones will feel off and you will feel depressed and your psyche will be saying, kill yourself. Right. Because you're not getting the real message, which means you're not really doing your God's work or what you're here to do or misery. Seeking, you're not. You'll be miserable. Mm hmm. And so if you're having those hormones, which I feel like we've all been there, because if you eat the American diet, it will trigger that loop. Yeah. And finding the foods that help nourish that energy, but also the practices. Because it's not just eat the right thing and buy the right things and then you'll be good. It's also like how you spend your energy and your time. And what are you cultivating? Yeah. And so I've been trying to cultivate inner strength with actual muscles, my inner strength, and being able to pump the chi using the stomach using that core using yeah. like you can learn to physically feel the kundalini and be able to send it where you need to which is why like um practitioners in like acupuncture acupressure massage therapy mm -hmm. kind of people are masters at being able to send love to that spot on you that you're like yeah you have a, a chi ball that they call a knot. Right. And so learning how, what kind of counter poses release the chi that is stagnant and what kind of practices and foods and even ways of thinking that can help raise your vibration and raise the chi up and you will feel it circulate. 
Right. And like connecting the mind and the body. And people say to like live with your heart through your head. Like don't think that one or the other isn't useful because we're these developed homo sapien things. That like we need both of them and using right. our energies to like your head is saying that you want to go put on your red shoes. What is your heart saying? Your heart is saying that it wants you to take some time to do some self-care. But your old program, your loop, your first answer to self-care is the red shoe. Mm. How can you assess that, okay, I'm, I'm wanting that, but what is something that would feed that mm. soul hunger? Do not ignore the left brain, the brain saying, I want this thing. Still give it something that it desires but maybe not yeah. like specifically what it asked for you can help like train your brain it's like when people switch up their drink at starbucks and they're trying to tip their <laughs> you know but no i'm saying it's a good first step like that if you are addicted oh, to caffeine no. and you're starting to go deep to decaf yeah. right and your brain is your left brain is still sugar. getting Give, can i get some of that <laughs> different kind of sugar uh you know, I think maybe a different, maybe if this time I get some agave instead of that, but that's the red shoe trick. Like, that, okay. Yeah, that's the other trick is that it's very. But tricky. you still love sugar. You have to, and I think. That but that, it's a different kind this time. And that's the difference too. Is like, are you getting serotonin or dopamine? And then that's when you know: are you putting on the red shoes or are you? Yeah. And and. Well, it's because you're. What I see from this too is like. A lot of us have problems with uh, sugar, sugar addiction, and it's like this, the red shoe, where she had made her own red shoes that she was in love with, and then she was robbed of them. Like, sh they were burned. Mm -hmm. So, we have these, we have this desire, or we have this ambition, or we have this attraction or beauty, or something that makes us feel good, and then once we lose it, then we're trying to constantly fill that gap. Mm. And she tried to fill the gap of her handmade red shoes with those other red shoes. And it became, it became like this emotional release of, of I lost something dear to me. So I have, so that's an excuse for me to behave poorly from now on. Right. Mm. Because I've been traumatized, I get the right to be self-destructive. Because I work so hard, I need sugar in the morning. I need uh, I need three or four pumps of caramel syrup in my coffee because I work so hard. I've been uh, I've been traumatized by life. So I need this sugar thing I, or I need whatever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. And. You have to acknowledge that, yes, you have been traumatized, because you probably have. Everyone, I don't think there's a human alive that isn't traumatized. Birth itself We're all suffering. the most traumatized. Yeah. PTSD is just 100%. Like, it's universal. <laughs> and it's like admitting to yourself, okay, yes, take care of yourself, because, yeah, people won't, may not take care of you, and you've been traumatized, or something. Don't, it's not that you ignore the trauma, but you don't use the trauma as an excuse to self-destruct. Mm. You don't use the fact that you're, you're 
new rich mother lady burnt your shoes to like obsess over another pair of red shoes right you don't let that take your power back yeah yeah because the wild woman refuses to be captured and so if you can have a practice or a mantra or something in your lifestyle that helps remind you of that and check in because the goal again is not to never have this problem and to just incinerate the red shoes right they will like reappear they're like these magic shoes that if you go burn them it's like the lord of the rings ring like the only place that they are burned is like at a place that you can't even go and so that it doesn't work to get rid of them so that's not the goal the goal is to be able to wield the power and to channel it and to um like we've been talking about with anger like that some religions want to just like let that like dissipate and like not connect to that power or another kinds of religions want to like uh circulate the power and like direct it and use that energy and 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 reward that hormone for being like thank you for being here today and how can we use you to your highest self instead of being like oh we don't need you today anger right. go sit on the bench anger helped me do more sets and more reps at the gym mm-hmm. so even though my anger was not a pleasant experience i used the the libido that i that it released inside of me to um first exhaust myself so that i couldn't hurt anyone because when you're uh when you're that exhausted from weightlifting, you don't have like your body physically is like no don't try to fight anybody and so that's a good one but then the other one is that i ended up creating like i captured some of that energy because by lifting Mm -hmm. weights i was able to develop a muscular body that i enjoy every day so it wasn't just a waste of my anger i didn't Mm -hmm. just go sit and wait until all the anger was gone and meditate it all away i channeled it into a productive activity and I actually saved some of the libido because it's still with me now. My body is still healthier now because I did put that energy into into it. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't just stuff it down. Mm-hmm. And so the dancing to me I don't see the red shoes thing as like you can't do your thing, you can't dance, you can't let the emotions exist. It's not that she should become just completely um never dance again but that's pretty much what happened in the end is that she let the shoes take over and then in the end she lost her feet it's like when little kids find bugs or animals and they're holding them in their hand and they squeeze too tight and they kill them because they wanted to keep them oh yeah but then they held it too tight right so the thing that you find so precious the instinct is to like fight or flight like fight for it and be like no god damn it i deserve (laughs) blank yeah how can you reframe it to like gratitude and usefulness and moderation (laughs) yeah or just get what you it's all to me it's all about getting what you want 
And she didn't want to keep dancing. And she couldn't stop. Mm. Right? If she had wanted to dance forever and die like that, I would have been, okay, that's fine. If you genuinely want to just dance yourself to death in this world, go ahead. But she didn't want to keep dancing. She wanted to stop. And the, her, basically the power of the red shoes was controlling her. And that's what I think, to me, I don't like that experience. I don't like the experience of my my own version of red shoes taking over my, my experience, right? And, mm-hmm. and starting to guide the experience. Um, and so I see it as like um, what you were talking about with the stretching and releasing that energy in the duodenum area that gets compressed a lot. It's near the diaphragm as well. So when you breathe deep and you do diaphragm breathing, you actually help stimulate the duodenum and bring circulation to it and blood flow and oxygen, all that. Mm-hmm. So to me, what I see you doing with that is like your your problem wasn't so much that you were dancing too much with your red shoes and they took over. Your problem, I think, was that you weren't dancing enough. And that you're, and that's what I was actually thinking um, earlier when we were just talking about how most wild women, I think, in order to survive, they actually just stayed inside or they hide themselves Mm -hmm. or they don't put on their red shoes and they don't do what she did. She went out and was like, look, I'm a wild woman at church, right? She was like, I'm a wild woman. I'm a wild, you know, I can do whatever I want. And um, she got her feet chopped off. And in our own culture, women who are like that, who are open and expressive and free, people, a lot of people don't like that. They don't want to see that. They shame you for that. And also the demons come after them the hardest and they die first. Like yeah, they a lot, die. a lot of wild women do not survive if they're like I don't know it's, it's scary because it's in our world right now it's easier to survive if you just be quiet and, and avoid all attention hmm. but wild women by their very nature are not quiet and avoidant they're hmm. open and expressive I mean some of them are aren't but in general they're, they're uninhibited by social concerns that's what makes them a wild woman they're not beholden to everyone else's opinion of them. Mm-hmm. But in our culture, that's extremely dangerous. Because it's, it's very dangerous to be that open. It's very dangerous to not care about what the majority thinks. Right? You're supposed to care what the majority thinks. Everyone's supposed to vote on it. And you're supposed to be dependent on the majority rule <laughs> or whatever. And so I think this story changes depending on the the era that you're in. Hmm. And we're now in an era where I don't think you identify as much with the being too expressive. Uh, I think it's almost like we don't, I I don't see enough wild women being expressive. I see, um, I see a lot of women who are not really wild women being expressive, but they're kind of just, uh, t- they're telling everyone what they want to hear. 
they're like going on Instagram and be like, what do you guys want me to tell you? I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Just buy my products that I'm pushing. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing where you're just kind of uh, doing doing it to do it. Not doing it because you think people are going to like you or doing it for social approval or anything mm-hmm. like that. And she's kind of the tragic story of that where you where you don't um, you don't pay attention to the signs that you need to back off a little bit mm-hmm. and then it just ends up running away from you and you're just totally out of your control yeah. so what are some of the signs that your red shoes are dancing too much and they're taking over. Adrenal fatigue and exhaustion to start. What does that look like? Look in your own eyes. Like, look in the mirror. Do you look exhausted all the time? Do you, like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I can do it where I've been running around and I look at myself in the mirror and grinning eyes long enough and you'll start crying because you're like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. And she's like looking at you, like, telling you all the <laughs> shit she's been going through. Mm-hmm. And so, like, monitor, like monitoring your energy levels, and you can do this by tracking the food you eat and keeping a food diary because your mm. strongest input is food, and next to that is your intellectual input of the artist. Like, what are you musing on Instagram or Pinterest or Gmail mm. or, I don't know, whatever you look at. And then for the lover, who are you loving? Mm-hmm. Um, are you... Yeah, and so checking into those kind of three different lifestyles of your food and um, your music and your art and who you love and seeing which one of those categories is raising your vibration and what can be lowering your vibration. You might learn, oh, Oreos lower my vibration. Now, a beef patty raises my vibration more than sex and learning how you feel with things and then then retraining yourself to go after what actually gives you serotonin compared to dopamine because dopamine is your reward hormone and if you're rewarding yourself well it's your it's your anticipation of reward it's not actually Mm -hmm. rewarding not really no dopamine you don't get dopamine when you succeed you get dopamine when you feel like you're about to succeed serotonin Mm -hmm. and um uh, uh, serotonin is more of like the completion hormone. Mm-hmm. Dopamine is the one that motivates you to to move towards a goal. Hmm. So dopamine seems like, but that's why people who are dopamine all the time, they're always off because they're always anticipating something else. They're always onto the next thing. They always, as soon as they're done eating their food, they're onto another snack. As soon as they're then with the snack they're already thinking about something or else. like they're watching. always yeah oh. they're always just their mind is mm-hmm. always in, in this anticipatory stage they're never in a calm state of just contemplating their own inner happiness mm-hmm. <laughs> you, that's serotonin serotonin is when you're just like wow those moments where you for me it's like when i see a a huge landscape in front of me with the light you know, the sunlight coming through the trees or something, and I'm just like contemplating the beauty. I'm not anticipating anything 
I'm so dopamine is the one that wants you always to change and to anticipate and serotonin is the one that wants you to be stable and relaxed and bliss basically mm-hmm. and so if you want to develop so serotonin you can develop the practices that raise your vibration the most and train yourself to be attracted to those and to make it easier in your environment and in your own mind to want to do those. So that's why people set out their gym clothes if they really want to go to the gym in the morning. Yeah. Then set the intention. It gives you a little boost of serotonin because also anything that is uh, consistent and mass like Here's a summary from Medical News Today. Eight foods that naturally boost serotonin. What? Oh my god. Excuse me. Seeds, milk, what? soy products. Get out of here. One. Why is it? Oh my god. She's been listening to us. She has to chime she, in. She is giving us some good names. Uh, yes. Oh man. But uh, learning how to wield your red shoes and not just leave them up on the top shelf like no one's touched those for generations it killed our great grandmother yeah no that's what i'm saying like your you had your grandmother was a wild woman but no one told you how to be like her because they thought that that her life was kind of a tragedy yeah because she was a biker and partying in the 70s and smoking cigarettes and drinking with my grandpa and then you know had four babies and gave up she dropped out of college and I only met her when I was like a very little girl and yeah. I never learned what I like what were her hobbies like what it was the art she liked to make and so the only thing I have from her are these like handmade baskets yeah those are beautiful baskets I she's amazing just from her aura that she passed through the baskets you mm-hmm. can tell and so by getting those These old totems, you can feel the the traumas and the red shoes that they were wearing and help to put the shoes back on, but do it in a respectful, meaningful, mm. infinite serotonin way mm-hmm. rather than continuing the loop. And to me, that's what I see as like my responsibility while I'm here is to help heal that loop because my grandma's, she definitely smoked a lot of weed. And so, again, my goal isn't to go, I want to try to give it up and emotionally trick myself into, like, telling myself a story of why I shouldn't. To me, it's more empowering to smoke weed and to do it sustainably so that I don't pass as early as she did and that I can help show my grandchildren how you use something to be sacred. How can I make it sacred and heal that wound instead of trying to leave burn the, the red shoes. shoes up there yeah and keep trying to burn the red shoes that keep reappearing every time yeah. you try to burn them or put them on the highest shelf so no one can wear them mm-hmm. and i'll read a quote from the end of the chapter where she says he who cannot howl will not find his pack so to me that says building practices that allow you to howl, to literally not think it, but do it. Eating the foods that give you the energy to howl, doing the practices, the postures, reading things, talking to people that charge you up and literally make you howl or more figuratively and more just in your energy 
right. yes project your vibe to attract your tribe mm. howl he the, the wolf howls to find the the pack right or mm-hmm. for them to find him so t- to me i see it more as like you we need to connect like uh you have to be able to express to connect but you have to know who you are to know what to express so we have a lot of work to do <laughs> you know but so, it's fun so we've got uh until next month in december and we'll be going over chapter nine homing returning to oneself oh good so very we can see where she's leading us yeah and uh as you can tell with this i'm a little bit lost in the sauce so this next homing yeah that'll be good this next one's gonna be because this red shoes one kind of throws you off i think she does it on purpose kind of triggers you (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah now that we're disoriented the next chapter is going to be about returning to the self Mm -hmm. perfect very orienting so got a month or whatever time scale you're on listening to this you got some time got some time to digest and rest digest and rest and howl to us yeah let us know that you're a part of the pack so we can find you and then you're okay (laughs) so we can howl back So if you can't howl, we won't hear you. You yeah. have to howl. I know. And this it's is so ours. hard. I didn't want to so, howl. Yeah. This is us howling. Yes. Howl. <laughs>